Welcome to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. This podcast is about all things outdoor photography, including landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more. The show features two talented photographers, Henry Doyle and Ryan Taylor, who bring their different experiences in photography to the podcast. The show is released weekly every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In today's episode, Henry and Ryan get to talk with John Walrath, an imaging, training, and technical support manager from Datacolor. They go over all things related to color management and how to get started with the process, including what monitor calibrators to buy, the fine-tuning to get desired results, and how post-processing and printing your photos will look better because of it. Welcome back to episode 65 of the All Outdoors Photography Podcast, and today we're having a manager from Datacolor here today. Yes, we have John Walrath on the show. Welcome, John. Uh, go ahead and tell us a bit about more of your photography background and your involvement in the industry. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, my name is John Walrath. I'm the Imaging Training and Technical Support Manager for uh, Datacolor. Um, my primary role at Datacolor is to help people uh, understand color management, uh, troubleshoot problems, and you know help use the products that we make. Um, uh, I guess that's, and I, I work on the support team. That's basically uh, the role of data color that I have. Uh, photographically, um, boy, I've, I've uh, I guess probably the easiest place to begin is, I guess, right from the beginning. Um, my father was a an avid photographer and um, I really kind of was exposed to, photo- no, no pun intended, <laughs> um, exposed to photography really through my dad. Um, Growing up, you know, he would, uh, you know, we'd take, we'd always be taking photographs of, you know, my brother and I just to, to kind of document time. And, um, you know, he'd been into photography for a long time before we were born. Um, but we had a black and white darkroom in our basement growing up and, you know, got to spend a lot of time down there and just kind of watch the, you know, I, I was very enamored with the, the develop, you know, working in the darkroom, you know, at an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't take it take it up as a you know a hobby or even profession until you know my 20s but um it was you know i photography's really been part of my life forever um uh in in high school or sorry in college um i, I took a black and white darkroom class and that kind of you know rekindled that relationship okay. with with photography and um but it really took off um you know, when I first got my digital camera, you know, just getting out of school and, you know, weighing the cost of each frame of film, you know, that was, and not having to do that with digital really kind of up the, uh, it really just kind of accelerated the learning and, and the passion and, and drive to become you know, really, a, you know, the best photographer that I could be. Um, I really enjoy, you know, if I were to say there's a, a, a genre of photography, um, I really love, you know, a lot of the, you know, I love black and white landscape photography. So Ansel Adams would be kind of one of the guys that I've always admired. Um, you know, just the capturing the grand landscape. I really, I really do enjoy that. Um, awesome. you know, I like photographing things, my, my backgrounds in interior architecture, um, in school. So, um, I did a lot of, uh, interior and architectural photography, um, professionally. Um, and that's kind of where I, ran into, you know, kind of became familiar with data color. But, um, you know, if I were to say I've 
the, the things I would photograph most these days are, are really my kids. And it's kind of, I always kind of look at it. It's kind of been cool how it's kind of come full circle. You know, my dad mm-hmm. really kind of impressed upon me the, you know, the importance of, you know, capturing moments you know, in time. And um, so I kind of have that relationship with my kids now is just kind of having a camera with me when we're, when we go out and do something as simple as a walk to, um, you know, just kind of, it's exposing them to, to photography and, and, but it is really, you know, the, it's important to just, you know, capture, you know, time as it goes by. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of basically, you know, where I am photographically today. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I know with film, it's just the excitement. I was just seeing those, the papers and developers just come to life, you know, underneath all that light too. I remember that doing that in high school. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can, you know, you go out and photograph and it's like, you kind of know when you've got a keeper. You see it on the back of, you know, digital today, you can, you get a preview of that on your screen and like, you kind of know when you nailed the shot mm-hmm. um, with film. I mean, you know, you, with the experience, you know, if you got the exposure, right. And the composition and those kinds of things, but you can't, you know, there's a, there's an element of, of surprise, you know, when, when the film was developed, uh, you never quite know. There's always a little bit of a question. Um, so I think, you know, with, with film, the highs are higher and the lows are lower. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> accurate. Digital, yeah. Uh, it's, it's more of a roller coaster ride. Uh-huh. But, um, so yeah, it's, there's something magical about developing film and, and. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So where are you at today with like film and digital? Are you mostly film shooting or mostly digital or. Oh no. Uh, digital okay. primarily. Um, I, I, I still have. My my parents have long moved since from that original house that we grew up in, but um, my dad always asked, you know, if I want the the film, <laughs> the stuff for the darkroom, so he, he hung on to it. So I guess I, I if I build a darkroom, I know where to to get the supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm also very interested in, you know, I've I've tried doing uh, palladium printing at home before. I really need a darkroom for that, but um, a traditional black and white chemical dark wet dark room is um, i'd love to have a, that at, at one point in my life here but um mm-hmm. you know i'm I, i'm very interested in I, printing is a big part of my life and i'm very interested in you know i like the the, the you know editing process of you know what you go through to to make a print you know from an inkjet printer but i also like the processes of you know what can you do outside of just an image off of, on the printer? Can you, um, you know, how can you manipulate the, the image afterwards? So I'm, I'm a very hands-on, my, my background's in interior architecture, but I also have a very, uh, part of that degree was a very classic art, art degree. So I took a lot of painting and, and drawing type classes. So keeping my hands dirty is, is always something I, enjoy the the very hands-on process Mm -hmm. of of creating art yeah and probably with that film background too like even if you're not shooting film you you appreciate the art of printing more maybe than some of the you know um all digital photographers that have grown up with just that so Uh, yeah i mean i'm I'm, i can't say i'm a a master in the darkroom but i do have you know some experience and i Mm -hmm. i was you know i do have some of that in my photographic history and I feel very fortunate to have that. 
Yeah, I yeah. think it's it's interesting, like where you ended up working too, because that kind of, you know, color calibration, everything that kind of goes hand in hand. So, do you want to kind of go into how you started working with Data Color specifically? Uh, so, um, I I became familiar with Data Color. Oh, let's see here. Um, I I started working. I had owned a business before I started working for Data Color. Uh, sold that business in 2010. Before I sold the business, I had, I had started doing some interior and architectural photography and I was having color problems. I was, you know, my task was to, I, I was working with your designers, architects, um, ad agencies, you know, there's been, you know, people who, who are relying on me to capture interior spaces accurately. You know, designers have gone to great extent to, to make you know, to choose a wall color, to choose fabric colors, to choose finishes in a, in a space to really kind of show off what they can do and create an environment there for the people that are in that environment, uh, a certain mood. And so my job as a photographer is to, to be able to capture images that capture that the, the color, the, the feel of an interior. So the, it wasn't just and these people that were that were hiring me were using these as, as marketing material. So this was material that was going to be used, you know, in magazines online. So it really had to kind of capture essence of who they are. Like if they were, if it was a home builder, you had to project a certain, you know, first of realism of, of the space, but also persuade a potential client to to use them as a builder for their home. So, you know, I, there was a lot of accuracy de demands in that, uh, you know, in those, those jobs that I would take. And I, I had color problems. I wasn't able to do that as successfully as I wanted to. And uh, so I started down the path of, of figuring out how to, you know, capture interiors accurately. Um, you know, and you learn about monitor calibration, which is really where you know, color management begins for, for most, for any photographer, that's really the first place to begin. Mm. Um, you know, I, I reached out to data color as a, as a customer, uh, before I worked for data color to, to find out what, what I needed to do. And, um, it helped me get set on the path. And, and so I was, a. it really helped me in my professional work. Um, you know, and it really just it kind of permeated down from there. Um, in 2013 is when I started working for data color. Um, so I've, I've always worked on the support team for data color. And so now I, it's kind of, you know, that's come full circle in my life here a little bit too, is, you know, I've worked data color on a, you know, as a customer and also for, um, you know, now helping customers understand and, and know our products better. It's kind of a, it's a, it's kind of a cool thing to be able to, to do that. Yeah, I, I can only imagine with doing like an interior an interior shoot like that, you really have to get the colors very accurate. Um, probably a bit of creativity to it, but it's more probably rigid compared to like more artistic forms of photography. I imagine. Yeah, and and it it worked really well for me because I'm I'm someone who who is who does like the details and is a little meticulous um, with, with things, and um, I, I don't mind reading any you know. I, I would rather read an instruction manual than a, than a novel. You know, it's, I, I like that kind of thing. And it was, 
really interesting to learn and put into application. But it really kind of suited, you know, my, my fondness for photographing architecture and just be able to, to do it better, you know, through color management. And it really wasn't implementing too many things, but it was just slowing down a little bit and um, just doing things the right way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I really like that saying you said about, yeah, the instruction manual versus the novel. That's, that's a great way to describe it there. Um, so maybe go ahead and talk a little bit more about calibration itself and maybe why it's important uh, for photography. So I think calibration is part of, you know, what's called color management. Uh, color management is really about uh, digital communication. Uh, there are industry standards for communicating with color. If you've heard of ICC profiles before, ICC stands for International Color Consortium. Back when, I guess it was the mid-90s, when, you know, digital communication or digital communication became, you know, was, was you know, it, companies realized there was going to be a future in digital communication. And we needed a, a way to, more of a unified way to, to talk and, and communicate with color. Where... CC standards have come in. You can go to icc.org and, and, you know, or color.org, excuse me, and, and look up more information on ICC and its foundings and such. But, but basically ICC is it's, it's their standards for digital color communication. That's basically color management in a nutshell is, is being able to communicate with, with color or digitally with color. Um, so is that like or, um, sRGB and Adobe RGB, or is that something else? Um, those are those are important terms to know about. You know, color um, management. Those are those relate to uh, color spaces. Okay. So if you've heard of so sRGB, Adobe RGB, those are color spaces that are universal standards for the output or of a of a so for a monitor. If you've ever heard the term of You've got a, a wide gamut monitor or an Adobe RGB monitor. What that basically means, it can show render color near or all of the Adobe RGB color range. Okay. Um, sRGB fits in to Adobe RGB. So it's just sRGB is more of a, a common denominator for you know, color or a color space. Um, uh, where are we going with that. Um, so yeah, color, you know, color management is about communicating with color, mm -hmm. uh, for photographers. We're really concerned about able to cap, you know, capturing the world around us accurately, or as we intend it to be, you know, we're, we're concerned with, um, you know, the fidelity of the information on our computer and how it's rendered on our screen. So we need to make sure we have an accurate view into our digital world where display calibration comes in and then output we're, we're thinking about um, where our images are going to be seen next uh, how we're sharing it whether it's in a print um, whether it's digitally uh, you know that's those are concerns of, of color management as well so there's really three points in the process uh, where a photographer needs to worry about color management and that's at the at capture 
at edit, and then at output. Okay. It's interesting because a lot of people, they shoot for different reasons. Like they mainly use it to export like digital JPEGs or some people print their work too. So yeah, it, it's neat to how that it's, how it's all entangled in such a way with color management too. Yeah. And I think I mentioned that the, really the place to begin for, for anybody in color management is display calibration. Um, display calibration is going to ensure that you're you know, seeing your images as they truly are. Um, you know, your computer has a, your computer's job is to use a profile on your monitor to render the image. Um, and what a display calibrator will do is it'll evaluate your monitor, create a custom profile for your monitor that's that's based on the, the measurements that it takes uh, during that calibration process. So are all ICC profiles custom made like that? Or is there some that are like almost like preset? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you install drivers for a monitor, when you install drivers for a, a printer, um, and even in presets in like Lightroom and, and Photoshop, you've got it, you can go to the, you know, you can set the standard Adobe, um, uh, I'm blanking on the, the different terms, but those are pre-baked ICC profiles. Um, your monitor has a, you can be used, it, it'll use a generic profile until you create a custom profile. Um, paper profiles. So if you have a an Epson or a Canon printer, um, part of the driver installation will be installing generic profiles for the papers. Uh, and those are meant to be used for every mo every printer model for a particular paper and you can create a custom ICC profile for a paper and a printer combination too. Um, but there, yeah. Th so you, you want to be using a custom profile for your monitor. Okay. And, um, it can be helpful to use a, a custom or a, a custom profile and that's something you can make yourself, but you can still get very good results with a generic or general profile from a paper manufacturer. Right. Yeah, especially when everyone's, you know, computer systems and displays are so unique and different, you know, so th that does raise a good point of like having it be unique and tailor made to your, your setup there too. Yeah, and that, that brings up a good point is, you know, it's not just for you. Um, color management, you know, my, my mentor at Data Color, he, he always said, you know, just don't think of your monitor as the standard for everybody else's monitor. There's industry standards that are, you know, made for this reason. So you correct your monitor to the industry standard. Um, you know, it allows you to work effectively yourself, but if you're going to work, you know, if you're going to work in a, in a operation, you know, like you guys, I'm sure, um, you know, if you share images, um, with each other, you know, calibrating your monitors will allow you to, um, um, you know, effectively work together. So, yeah. Yeah. And right. like, if you're working on one edit between two people too, like you can send it over and you actually know you're talking about the same exposure, the same white balance, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, I mean, it's, it's maybe a little more common in the video world to work in a work collaboratively. Um, but there's, there are certainly a lot of instances where you, where you would in a photo workflow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so maybe we could touch upon a little bit about like calibrators themselves. Um, is there any specific like models or types that you maybe like could give to beginners and like recommend at least? Yeah. Well, so Spider X is Data Color's um, current display calibration tool. Um, it's the the current generation, and um, it's a it's a pretty advanced tool. It's not. It, it I say that it's an advanced tool, but it's also not a hard tool to use. Um, so there's there's a lot of you know, let's say theory and mathematical things that you can get into with with color management, but uh, for a photographer, you know, I, I'm primarily helping and addressing the, the the practical side of things, the application of these practices and, and tools. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, for a display calibration tool, the Spider X is uh, it, it comes in two different flavors, if you will, a Spider X Pro and a Spider X Elite. Um, I wouldn't don't be uh, don't be a uh, the pro designation of the Spider X Pro isn't necessarily that it's meant for the pro photographer. It, it it's it's a a tool that really anybody can easily use. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, there there's more features and and things that the that the Elite offers. But um, you know, they're both equally easy to use tools. Um, and the good thing about it is, it's really you're not. It, it's all a very, very automatic process. The the Spider X uh, Pro and the Elite um, will calibrate your display in under two minutes. Wow! Um, so it's a very it's a very quick process. Uh, it's a process that we recommend doing once a month. Um, so it really isn't you know it doesn't take up much time at all. It's something you can um, you know just do very quickly if you're gonna before you make a print or before you sit down to do an edit. Um, you know, it's it's a very you know, the barrier to, to doing it is is pretty low. And do do you get a lot of like beginning photographers purchasing this product or? Yeah, yeah. Generally, um, you know, the the a display calibration tool is. I mean, I think if we're going to be realistic here, it's not as sexy as a as a new lens or a new camera. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and sure. there's certainly tools that you need to have in place. You know, along with your computer equipment, um, I, I think it's definitely an important, important part of the editing process. You you really do need to make sure you're 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 accurately seeing the your image file. So that that's really part of what you know, that's part of what a display calibrator will do is it'll make sure that you're seeing your image as it actually is. Yeah. And you mentioned, I was going to ask you about the frequency of uh, calibrating. You said a month. Um, is there like any certain reason why? Is it just because of maybe like the lighting, the ambient light in your room or maybe something like that? Or what's the reason for that? Yeah. Um, well, it's back when, you know, it, it could be, yeah, there's maybe a couple of reasons. I would say that, you know, one, it's just kind of you get into a, a habit of, making sure your, your monitor's accurate. Um, mm -hmm. You know, over a month time, newer LED tech technology really doesn't drift much at all. Um, CRTs would a lot, um, but if, you know, of course there's not, that's not a common technology. Um, we have, we have always just recommended a month. Um, and it's, it's good to, 
you know, there's a certain, it's a maintenance thing in a lot of ways too. just making sure you've got a current profile for your monitor. Um, and that you know, one of the things that the display calibrator will do is it'll make sure your, your brightness is set properly. Um, brightness is, is a, is not often talked about, um, or I think it should be talked about more, yeah. um, in calibration, uh, because that, that really affects how you, um, you know, how you're adjusting your image. Um, and it also affects, you know, what your print output will be. Um, if your if your monitor is showing you a artificially brightens view of your image, you're not going to get a print that comes out that's consistent with your display. Yeah, I, I definitely found that. So like when I was beginning photography, uh, I remember one shoot I did out in the snow um, and I mm. liked it on the computer. You know, the snow was nice and white. But when I printed that, it was just that muddy gray color. And that was just simply because of an inaccurate display. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you could even almost go like a step back in the process and go back to just taking the image itself and making sure your histogram and everything looks right. Um, and also your LCD screens, the proper brightness too, uh, with your surroundings. Yeah. I mean, we, we use a raw, you know, uh, raw files have a lot of latitude in them. Um, but, you know, going back to the point of capture, you, know, you can use color management, a, a color chip chart, like a spider checker um, to, you know, to, as a reference for white balance, that's something you need on location and change, you know, to something you can't kind of mimic in post-production. Um, and that's, you know, like a gray card basically is what I'm talking about here. Um, but you also have the, the color chart and that will allow you to, to correct color automatically in the spider checker software. And, you know, and then thinking downstream, you know, prints, print problems really aren't the printer's problems. <laughs> you know, they, it comes, it, a lot of it comes down to display calibration and, and file, uh, how good the file is that you're, that you're editing and through. Right. Yeah. Is there any like monitors or displays like that you've used or maybe you could recommend to? Um, I would certainly say to someone, you know, if you're in the market for a monitor and you're a photographer and you're going to be printing, um, you really want to think about an Adobe RGB monitor. So a wide gamut monitor, um, the Mac P3 monitors are, are also very good. Um, you know, like a, like a, an iMac would have, um, you know, they're, they're very good. I think of, you know, the, you can edit on, you know, Mac laptops or really any laptop, but having a, an external screen with a lot of real estate really is going to help make it a better experience. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I would say generally, you know, the, a lot of the, mon there's no, I don't, I can't say that I've seen a bad monitor on the market, but I also would recommend if you can, if you can swing it, it it's a, it's a little more expensive monitor, but Adobe RGB monitor would, would suit a photographer pretty well. And then in camera too, um, would you suggest like shooting in Adobe RGB? It's like that seamless workflow. Well, if you're, um, if you're shooting in, well, so I, I know you're referring back to the, if you have sRGB or Adobe RGB mm -hmm. in camera settings, settings that are, that are, that relate to non raw capture. 
So oh, the raw okay. file, the color space is assigned in the raw converter. When you you when you're when you're shooting a JPEG or something, that's when you need to make sure you've got that set properly in your camera, and that's when you would set it to Adobe RGB. Got it. Okay. Because at that this you know the color space decision is made at, at capture for non raw capture, for for raw you know that that's assigned in the raw profile or raw editor. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And it typically asks you, I believe, during like image export because I know that's like a setting I can choose. Yeah. So if you're exporting in Lightroom or, or Photoshop, you know the uh, export, or if you're using the legacy export for web in Photoshop, you can assign the profile, a profile for that image. So if you're going to upload it to Facebook or, or put it on your website, you know, you want to assign the sRGB um, profile to it. But if you want to, if you're saving it to your hard drive for, for use or so, for instance, if it's a master file for an image then save it as, you know, your work, you know, Adobe RGB you know, would work well in most, most instances. Right. Right. Is there any software you could recommend as well? Maybe for like color management workflow? Uh, well, you know, the tools that, that data color makes it all, they all come with where mostly, um, we have our, the spider checker, which is the capture calibration tool with with software that will work with we products and it'll work with cap uh, um blood focus software as well and what that will do is it'll create a, an auto correction for a file done a reference photo with the color chart in it our spider cube which is like a three-dimensional gray card that doesn't come with software but that will work with any raw converter where you can adjust you know, white balance and, and uh, black black tones and your exposure, that type of thing. So it's like a could, it's like a virtual like gray card basically that kind of stays inside of your software. Uh, Spider Cube is not no. That's oh, a okay. That that's that's also a location target. So a, a spider checker, which is the the color chip chart. You know, if you if you have the time to set it up, or if you're using, or when, like personally for me, you know, most of my work, I'm not using a a, a spider checker, or a color chip chart, or even like the the spider cube. And what these these capture targets do is it gives you a reference, to use in your editing. It's, it's not about capturing, directing at the point of capture. It's about giving you a reference to use in your editing okay when you do sit down at a computer you can you can make an edit effectively um or you can set a custom white balance using a gray card uh, or the reverse side of, of a spider checker uh in camera to, to do an in-camera white balance so it's you know that would be the use case at capture got it okay but then, you know so our the spider x the display calibration tools they will come with they both have their own software and, and the, the spider print, which is the custom printer profile software mm -hmm. or tool that will come with its own software as well. But, you know, you want to be, you know, 
Lightroom and, you know, Photoshop, really those are the standards in the industry, but there are also very good, you know, uh, there are also other very good software. I mean, the, the one is a, is a, is a raw editor that I've used for a long time that I really enjoy using. Uh, Affinity Photo is a, is a very, a very good solid product too. And I'm just speaking for the ones that I'm familiar with, um, but those, those are all color managed and those are all just, they offer all the, the tools that they would need to do, need to have to edit color and edit effectively and the color management tools. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm personally a Lightroom user and I'm curious, do you think it's enough to get by with Lightroom or do you think you suggest for like intense color work, you go elsewhere and then take it in afterwards? I mean, Lightroom's a great place to, you know, to do your raw editing. So, and then if you need to work on the, you know, uh, so Lightroom and, and a raw editor is a, it's non-destructive. So it's not taking the file and altering it. It's creating a, a sidecar in, in, it's kind of like got your main file and you've got this secondary file that, that is used to alter the, the main file. So all the edit, it's like a non-destructive workflow for editing for raw files. Okay. Um, and when it's, when a raw outputs or exports that image, it then at that point, it bakes in those corrections and then it becomes, then you're working on the, on it on a pixel level like in photoshop or affinity photo and that's when you're playing the file itself but in a raw editor you're creating this of adjustments that's applied to the image but it's not destroying i'm doing that in quotes it's not destroying or, or altering the image you can always reverse it and, and go back yeah okay where in photoshop or affinity photo you're, you're kind of relying on going back in history to 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 get to those edits whereas in lightroom or, or capture one you can just erase that sidecar or that secondary okay so you, you can you can still press Control z in, Infin in affinity and reset the last step it's not like destructive like all the way if that's yeah so okay. In a pixel for, for Photoshop, it's an Affinity Photo. It's uh, Affinity Photo has different modules. Um, so one is a raw editor. So you can raw edit within Affinity Photo, but in the the pixel based editor in a photo in Affinity Photo, you're relying on the history of what's happened to the file to erase what's gone on. Whereas a raw editor that secondary file that was created with your edits you still have the your your original raw file is still fully intact got it okay so can you take the same raw file and like basically allocate multiple icc profiles and like color spaces to them well i you could theoretically yeah but i think the what i was talking about previously wasn't about it was more about the the theory of what is a raw processor what is a, a like photoshop or affinity photo isn't i wasn't just relating management to those to it was just editing in general and what goes on in those got it okay 
right right theory if, if a raw pro, if a raw file does not have an assigned profile you can, whatever is your working color space the raw processor whatever is assigned whatever is assigned to you could uh, in theory create multiple instances of that file and if, i guess three different color you know different color settings to it so yeah i, I in theory it would work yeah but ICC kind of covers your whole set of colors, you know, on your monitor more than the individual file. That's what I'm. So I, the working color space of an application relates to how the application takes the color information of that file and renders it within the application. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're working in Adobe RGB. That means your application is going to use RGB to transform the color information in your file so that you see it in application. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a, I don't want to call it a filter because it's not a filter. It's, it's how information, your image file is processed to look on within the application. Mm-hmm like your output profile. So if you're going to apply the a profile to as you export like a sRGB, basically it's saying that the file opened up next, it needs to be in such a way that relates to sRGB. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, it's definitely important. I think for photographers to kind of, at least get involved with, you know, with some of these technical skills. Um, so kind of going along with calibrating, um, you talked about printing a bit, but do you want to touch upon a bit more about kind of how calibration, um, it's pretty much crucial for printing your photos. Um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of think of like this. If we're, th if we're talking, if ICC color standards are a language, so if we, it's, it's a language um, and you're setting your monitor see standard of, of accurate and, and appropriate for digital communication. Um, the profile that you use for the paper combination, uh, you know, that's also set to those standards. It, it's, it allows you to have better frequency when you send your image that you've seen on your monitor. Your, um, so, it, was always explained to me is, you know, color management can help manage expectations. Um, and I mean, I mean by that is you have you know, your, your expectation is when you see your, your image on your computer is that that's really how the image looks. When you hit print, you want to print an image, your expectation is that it's going to print as you see it on your monitor. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm using profiles really helps make those expe expectations come to life. Uh, well, we've seen, you know, we're photographers, we're artists, um, you know, we're to be able to focus on our art. Um, in, implementing some of these color management principles allow the technology that we use to make our art kind of, it makes it work together, but it kind of, the real 
problem becomes not how do I alter my image on the screen so it looks better in print. It becomes kind of getting the technology. It's getting a, the technology a backseat, if you will. It allows you to really focus on the hard work of creating art uh, and let technology work for you. You know, I, yeah, I was gonna say, I've, I've done a fair amount of printing myself, but I mean, like for the first couple of probably years, I didn't calibrate my monitor or do any sort of color management, honestly. I mean, besides like adjusting the white balance, but um, what would you recommend, I guess, to get started with, you know, calibrating photos for print? Well, you know, the really the, the place to begin is, is display calibration. Um, it's just, it's, I think probably, Probably a discussion to have next is, you know, if data color has two display calibrators, you know, which, how do you identify which ones is for you? You know, they both have different uh, of, of features and, and such, um, you know, how do you determine, and to this point too, you know, um, how do you determine which one is, is meant you can effectively use? I, I will say this at the beginning, either spider x pro or spider x elite to 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 be an effective printer both will give you what you need to to print effectively uh, the the first way i determine you know when speaking with people about which is the right calibration tool is is how many monitors they're using um, if somebody is using two monitors um spider x pro can uh, that's the entry point. The Spider X Pro can calibrate multiple displays, but the Spider X Elite can help make them more consistent. More consistent One with each the, other? Is that? Each other, yeah. Okay. Um, so, and one of the things that we often get asked is I've kept both monitors. How come they don't look the same? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're, creation is going to maximize the color performance of a display. Um, and that's based on ability. So if we have a one standard gamut or, or sRGB monitor next to a Adobe RGB monitor, um, they're both calibrated. You're often going to notice that the Adobe, the wider gamut, the Adobe monitor appears to be saturated, probably a little warmer and because best performance the better you know the best performance of a of a standard gamut monitor is smaller it's it's not as colorful and the same as an adobe rgb monitor um mm -hmm. and so what the spider x elite can do is it can visually tune your secondary monitor so it looks more like your primary monitor um y'all there are ways to measure color in the world around us and that's what the operation tools will be doing for you but all perceive color a little bit differently. So you can, you know, three of us can sit down in front of a computer and we can just, we can say, you know, monitor looks this way, the other monitor looks this way. Uh, but you know, Henry, you, you could, you, they may look exactly the same to you. So we do have a little bit of a perception, mm -hmm. perceptual difference in our, in what we see, but uh, so I guess I'm getting you know to land the plane here. Um, the the elite does offer a way to fine tune your monitor so it looks more like your primary. 
your primary is always going to be your main monitor to do your color critical work on. Um, you know, if you see a little bit of difference between the two monitors, um, you know, it, it is okay because your primary monitors are going to be your, you know, the, the more capable monitors is what you're going to choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, obviously I guess if you're trying to match one monitor, you would lose some accuracy in the one you're matching to or the one that's trying to match the other one, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you don't want to, you know, dumb mm -hmm. down one monitor. So it's, it looks more like the, you know, your, your secondary monitor. You yeah. want to, yeah. you know, if you have the RGB monitor, that's your primary monitor. So. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So how many displays that somebody's using is really the, you know, that's when I would go with the spider X elite. Somebody's doing video workflow. You know that that the elite also has the tools for video calibration standards. Uh, so that's a whole other ball game is, with video too. All these different yeah. standards. Yeah, it is. How much overlap is there with compared to like photography? Different game. <laughs> um, it yeah, I mean, there's different color spaces that are used. They, uh, we're, we're very uh, familiar with sRGB and Adobe RGB and P3 for video. It's Rec 709, Rec mm. 2020. Uh, they're applying lookup and LUTs to, or LUTs to to files, and out of it's not my comfortable environment. I'll, I'll say that you know I'm not gonna the 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 person talk to about video calibration and standards but it's a different lingo different yeah. standards um but there is a workflow for it you know you can make a, a video workflow very you can make it accurate but mm -hmm. yeah i've just started myself um the camera i got recently shoots log for this first time i've had something like that and it's yeah. crazy with all the LUTs and everything i i kind of switched it back to just the normal profiles for now because <laughs> yeah yeah, I don't have the experience shooting video to mm -hmm. really talk too much about it. But uh, so I, I do have a question about that, though, like a lot of photographers nowadays, you know, they, they shoot like maybe little clips of, say, your wildlife photographer. You, you shoot a little clip of the subject you're shooting. Do you think it's OK to have a kind of photography calibrated setup and then still get fairly accurate colors for your video? I mean, do you think that's OK for more amateurs? And when you calibrate your display, it's it's not for photo or for video. It's it's calibration. It's accuracy in more absolute terms. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, that's good. All right. So it's it's more universal there. Uh, so what is that video specific calibrator actually doing? Is it? It's getting the color space, the different color spaces. Allows you. It's not going to, let's say, limit the number of colors that you see on your screen, but it's going to affect how your, your video application is going to render color within there. Okay. So it's going to see, okay. so, so if, um, if you calibrate to rec 709, that's going to impact how it is handled within the application that you're using. So okay. within premiere or, or okay. 
yeah, about how it handles video files in the application. I mean, I, I would assume that like Rec 709 is more compressed than say a raw color profile, a raw image color profile, um, just because you have to push more data through, uh, you know, over the minutes you're recording. So that definitely makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think just remember raw doesn't have a a, a color space assigned to it. That's oh, yeah, assigned yeah, in sure. the in the editor. Mm -hmm. Um, but Rec 709 and Rec 2020 would, I don't know, guy would probably yeah, <laughs> scold me yeah. for saying this, but it, you know, they, they more relate to like Rec 709 is, is more similar to sRGB. Rec 2020 is more similar to Adobe or a wider gamut like that. So, and I'm not saying it's a one-to-one, -one, you know, uh, but it's, you know, sorry, or Rec 709 is a little, is, is smaller than Rec 2020. That's um, a similar relationship in, in the video world to the photo world. Got it. All right. Any video people listening, <laughs> I, I might've just. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I really think there's, it's starting to get, you know, there's very few people nowadays who don't shoot at least some video. So it's definitely useful. And we, we appreciate you bringing it up as well. <laughs> yeah, you've, uh, I've, I've exposed myself here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're all good. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> so how much has all this color management played into like your photography in particular? It, or, well, it, it's certainly, I mean, I love it's it's made printing effectively see what know what i see on my screen is what i'm going to get in print um obviously a monitor is a backlit device a printer a print is a is you're dealing with reflected light um you know so you're going to say if somebody says screen to print matching either that that really it's it's a it's a theoretical concept. You, you, your monitor will be calibrated to give you a very good reference for what on prints, but a print will always be very different than than a monitor. That makes sense. Um, I always say the print needs to stand alone. You know, your 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 viewer is never going to see your monitor. Um, your monitor needs to be an effective for you. So that you get effective print. Um, so, for instance, here I I always will brighten the and in my images before I send them to print, and it's not because um, monitor isn't calibrated a proper way. It's just you know we'll call that editing for prints. I know kind of the moves that I need to make to, to make it look better. Um, but you have, you have a calibrated monitor to give you a, uh, starting point, I guess is, is probably the way to put it is to, to, to make those decisions. Um, making a print is, is often not as simple as just hitting, hitting print. Um, like, yeah, you know, I will say it's it's like knowing your camera, how your camera will react in certain situations, how it captures highlights, how 
push that histogram, you know, how much he's on the screen, you know, you can push it to before you really do lose information. Um, you know, you become accustomed, you get to know that camera uh, and your printer is the same way. Um, you know, you, you realize the relationship between screen and what you get on paper. Um, it, it's it, pixels and putting it to, or pixels to paper is, is really what I like this to call it. It's you're really, it, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's a feel, you know, you've got a visual reference, but it, you also have a feel for how that image is going to look in print. Uh, and that's with, with just simply making prints. Um, you know, using profiles, having a calibrated monitor, you can building that feel because you know, the technology is going to work in a certain way. Uh, really, you know, and again, it goes back to making the, you know, putting the, the technology in the back seat and not the main thing to over, you know, we all have a creative vision for, for the work that we, cre we create and, um, that should be the struggle and not the technology and what color management can do is effectively put get it away give that give it the back seat mm -hmm. so your prime concern really becomes making the art that you want to make yeah and right. i mean as artists we don't have a lot of time either and i think data color you know makes great tools that you could do it quickly um and consistently too you know every month or so so mm -hmm. So if I were to say, you know, that is definitely one way that color management has changed my workflow. Um, you know, with, uh, you know, capturing the interiors accurately, um, I needed to slow down. It, it was not a simple running gun, set up the tripod, throw a couple lights here and there, click, be done with it. It was really a matter of, you know, putting a lot of thought into, into in front of my lens. And anytime you can, slow down and consider the environment, consider what's within the frame of your, what you're in your viewfinder. Um, anytime you go down and really plate what you're doing, uh, that is a good thing. Yeah. And, and going back to the printing thing, it's like the print is forever. Like once you make it, that's just how it looks in a sense. But like the monitor is always changing. You know, always need to be keeping up to date and calibrating it too. Oh man, there's there's so many great reasons to print, um, and that that's one of them is that the the print is not going to change based on you know uh, the it it, it will the monitor let's say that i don't want to say that the print is never going to change because the printer does the print does have a lifespan uh if it's not taken right. care of very well it changes based on lighting that's that's that it's in but you know you will never you know there's how many of us have been in this situation where we're we're saying hey uh, i'm sorry you know the image looks on my on my computer than it does on your phone or your ipad you know a print really kind of solidifies a photographic and artistic thought. So, uh, you know, we're, it really helps you leave a legacy, if you will. Um, it, it kind of, it just, it pleats the, you know, your, your 
application. You, you stop and you photograph something, you put a lot of thought into it. And, um, you know, it, it, when you take that image and, and make a print, uh, and I'm talking about really contemplating the process and, you know, thinking how you're editing it and really just kind of getting the most of that image that you can and really um, getting it to the point where you're really um, articulating what you saw on scene. Uh, through you make a successful print, you're really you're kind of close on on a, a photographic and artistic thought, and that that's something that digitally in, in many ways. But there's a, a a finality that that making really to kind of do, um, and that's as an artist. I think more effectively that way. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying about anybody who isn't printing, but I think there's a, there is a process that you go through as an artist of making a physical, tangible thing. That's just good for, that's just enjoyable. Um, it's good for your artistic growth. I think you from a print um, a lot more than hard drive and visiting it someday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it really for me a print is the completion of a of an artistic and photographic thought and you once you when you can complete that thought it allows you to move on to the next image um more of of making that one better i think i think you grow through printing um so it's it's enjoyable, but I think it's it's just very beneficial for your artistic. Yeah, for artistically, sure. I think I think it's a it's a really it's a growth. It's a growth. I think. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with more with that. Yeah, no better way to say it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this yeah. this has been a great episode. Um, I've really learned a lot, and I'm sure the audience has too. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been awesome. So thanks for coming on, John. Yeah, thank you. Is there any is there any places where maybe we could learn more about color management or data color or perhaps even your work? Well, so spiderx.datacolor.com is our is our display calibration. You know, that, that really is the home of, of data colors. Uh, we'll call them consumer tools. Um, but that's anything for color management for photographers and creatives. Um, you know, you can go to datacolor.com and get to that site the same way, but spiderx.datacolor.com. Um, it's been a while updated, but I'll, I'll give you my website. It's, it's johnwalrath.com. Okay. Uh, J-O-H-N-W-A-L-R-A-T-H.com. Uh, that's where you can see my work. Um, and I have goals of updating soon, so <laughs> you can, uh, you can see it there. Awesome. Um, the spider blog is a, I do contribute there occasionally. Um, and that's, I think you just get through that from the, uh, from the spider X site. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, we appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, and yeah, As this is, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's been awesome. great. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure, John. Thank you so much for watching the all outdoors photography podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. 
You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.